I'm Donovan Kane. Welcome to my podcast, where I read steamy stories for women to you. Why? Well, because sometimes you just want a man to read you a naughty story. This is a Romance Author Spotlight episode of the podcast, featuring USA Today best-selling romance author Ellie Masters. I will read a short steamy excerpt from her book, Rescuing Jinx, which is book six of her Guardian's Hostage Rescue Specialist series. After that, stick around. I'll be talking with Ellie Masters. You can learn more about her and her books. So, let's get started with that short, steamy excerpt from Ellie Masters' book, Rescuing Jinx. A fiery spirit, Jinx is hot as sin and as seductive as a siren. She's a Grecian goddess sent by the gods to torment unsuspecting men who can't help but fall to their knees in reverent adoration. She's a tantalizing temptress and a total cock tease, sending mixed signals until my head feels like it's going to explode. Both heads. She kissed me in New Orleans, dragged me to the bathroom where she climbed my body like a cat in heat. I fingered her to an ear-splitting release. Then... She blew my mind with her hot mouth, talented tongue, and hands that took me to the brink and beyond. Those kinds of things make a guy think a chick's into him. I'm not wrong about that. But ever since she and her best friend Lily moved to California and joined forces with the Guardians, she acts like none of that happened. As if she didn't hump my leg. As if she didn't shamelessly grind against me and cum all over my fingers as if she didn't wrap her silky lips around my cock to suck me, like the temptress she is. For some reason, she's pissed, yet I've done nothing wrong. Perfect angel here, I've treated her with nothing but respect. Her explosive temper should drive me away, but fuck if it's not a goddamn siren's call, drawing me in, heating me up, making my mind spin and my body come alive. When I catch her looking at me, I'm instantly hard. Each and every time, without fail, the moment she realizes I've caught her staring, she turns away with a dismissive snort, leaving me aching. She desperately fights her attraction. I don't mind watching that battle unfold because I know something she's yet to accept. Jinx wants me, with desperate hunger. She can be angry, pissed, and annoyed, but that's a war she's doomed to lose. I have the best weapon in my arsenal, and I'll shamelessly use it in my quest to claim her as my own. I feed that volatile temper of hers until she's boiling hot, primed to explode. Then I kiss her. I did that in Knox's kitchen. I love the way she fights her natural instincts, how she refuses to accept the inevitable. Even as she twirls, flowing in that lethal Brazilian fighting dance of hers, getting in three hits to my one. The girl can't help herself. She always kisses me back. Always. She rises on tiptoe, hands lifting until she cups my face. Eyes simmering, she presses her silky lips against mine. Her kiss silences my protests, steals my breath, and sends my heart into overdrive. Adrenaline spikes, racing around my body, making me take notice even as I get lost in the tenderness of the kiss. My heart skips a beat. My fingers curl around her tiny waist. 
I devour her intoxicating essence like a man starving for what he can't have. She ignites a firestorm that burns like the sun, turning everything to ash as it sweeps through me. Then the space between us explodes. Jinx pulls back, anger building, as if I'm responsible for the kiss. She slaps me and storms off in a huff. We tore up Knox's living room, destroying bookcases and shattering his glass table. Fixing that is going to put a major dent in my wallet, but the kiss was worth every penny. I've kissed before, but those kisses were weak, empty things. They didn't burn through me like Jinx's tantalizing teases. I'd love to end one of our fights by tossing her over my shoulder, loudly proclaiming, You, me, bed, now. But to do that, I need to win one of our fights. So far, I'm zero for two. I meander back to my home, frustrated and aroused. My house is literally a stone's throw from Knox's place, although it's not as big or as nice. I've got something of a 70s bungalow perched on the side of the cliff. It has two bedrooms, perfect for a bachelor to call home. Once through the front door, I head outside to watch the sun go down. It's my favorite time of day. Grabbing a cold one from the fridge, I lounge in a chair and stare out over the glittering sea. It's a calm, cloudless day, which means the sunset won't be nearly as spectacular. Not that I mind. A light breeze blows off the ocean, ruffling my hair. Down below, the slow, steady rhythm of waves hitting the beach sinks with the beating of my heart. Not one to meditate. I've been told there's power in such a thing. My eyes drift closed as I hone in on the sounds around me. Seabirds call overhead, screeching to one another as they hunt their next meal. Light gusts ruffle the sparse foliage clinging to the cliff wall beneath me. The wind chimes on my deck tinkle, adding randomness to the world around me. The surf below rolls relentlessly onward, churning the rocky coast into grains of sand, one powerful surge at a time. Out on the water, a solitary surfer bobs in the water beyond the breakwater. The surf along this part of the coast is deadly, but this isn't the first time I've seen that particular surfer brave the waves. One of our nearby neighbors, Noodles, plays keyboard for Angel Fire, one of my favorite bands. His Zen-esque lifestyle is one I don't understand, and if the rumors are true, he's not out there to surf. He's there to talk to old Joe, a great white shark who hunts these waters and happens to be Noodles' friend. My eyes snap open as I fail yet again to meditate. That Zen state eludes me with the distractions around me. I tip the bottle to my lips and swallow down the cold brew. To my left, a window opens next door. I turn, instinctually feeling her eyes on me. When Lily and Jinx join the Guardians, they moved in with Knox. Jinx's window faces my bedroom, which complicates things as much as it enhances the crazy attraction pushing and pulling us apart. She leans out of the window. Her long, dark hair blows back from her angelic face as she tilts her head back and closes her eyes. Her honeyed skin takes to the California sun, deepening her tan to a golden brown. Long, black lashes frame her face, highlighting the sculpturing of her cheeks and her tiny, upturned nose. Her pillowy lips 
soft as sin, sexy as silk, curve upward into the most serene smile I've ever seen. She knows I'm out back on my porch. The girl watches my every move. She also knows I've got an unobstructed view of her bedroom. It's something she uses to tease and torment me, a nightly ritual we began the first night she moved in. Lillian Knox know nothing of the games we play. They're blissfully unaware, too wrapped up in themselves to take notice of what happens beneath their own roof. Jinx's eyes slowly open. Her head turns until our gazes connect and instantly clash. Less than an hour ago, I held her in my arms, stealing a kiss, which prompted a fight in Knox's kitchen. That fight extended to the living room, where mayhem and destruction followed. I still taste her on my lips. With her eyes on me, I place the beer down on the table beside me. Then I stand and slowly turn toward her. She doesn't turn away as I peel my shirt over my head, tossing it to the deck. I eye her, waiting for her to retreat, but Jinx won't. She takes my challenge and stands firm. Pressing my fingers to my lips, it's a reminder of that kiss in the kitchen. Her eyes flare, widening momentarily, and her pert lips part. I make a show of kicking off my shoes. She knows what comes next. We've danced this dance for weeks. The first time she stripped for me, Jinx didn't know I could see right into her room. Our bedroom windows face each other. She didn't know because the lights were off in mine. When I came home after sparring practice with the guys, I froze when I realized I could see everything. I remember that day vividly, as does my cock. Already the fucker wakes up, lengthening and hardening as it weeps for her. That first night, not wanting her to think I was a perv, I turned on the lights, letting her know our bedrooms faced each other. Okay, I'm a little bit of a perv, because I waited until she slipped out of her pants before I flicked on the lights. Her head snapped up as I stepped to the window, our gazes locked much as they do now. She didn't try to hide from me. There was no shock, no anger, no indignation. Instead, she held my gaze almost as a challenge. That night, I closed the curtains like any gentleman would, then fucked my hand with her tantalizing image filling my mind and all kinds of filthy thoughts. For the next week, she kept her drapes closed. Then one night, when I again came home late, I walked into my bedroom and came to a sudden halt. She was in her room, light on, facing me. I turned on my lights, letting her know I was there. If she was going to undress in full view, then I would watch. I made several concessions for her, holding back my advances, but there was no way I was going to keep my drapes pulled out of respect for her privacy. I was here first. This is my home and I sleep with the windows and doors open. What happened next will remain between us forever. I slowly took off my shirt, letting my muscles ripple and flex. Then I dropped it on the floor and waited. Half a beat later, Jinx grabbed the bottom of her shirt and drew it over her head. I kicked off my shoes, much as I just did, then slid free of the constraint of my pants. Hard and aroused, I waited to see what she would do next. Pull the curtains, turn off her light, 
Would she sneer at me in disgust? Or was this yet another tease? She removed her jeans as my heart lodged in my throat, beating like a stallion in the last leg of a race. I gripped the waistband of my briefs, lifted it over my engorged cock, and stepped free. With no shame, I fisted my cock, letting her see how hard I was for her. Jinx watched me glide my hand from root to tip, leaving her bra and panties in place. I stared at her half-naked state, with fantasy spilling through my mind. Jinx on her knees, blowing me. Jinx bent over the side of the bed as I rutted into her from behind. Jinx in my arms, back braced against the wall as I buried myself deep into her wet heat. I masturbated while she watched, turning to the side as my release slammed into me. My hips bucked and jerked with my release. When I turned back, the corners of her lips turned up into a smirk. She reached behind her to unfasten her bra strap. Before letting it drop, she closed her curtains, bringing a strangled moan of frustration to my lips. The next morning, I looked out my window. There, taped to the glass, were two numbers with a slash between them. She gave me a four out of ten. Bitch. Each night thereafter, I've upped the stakes, eager to improve my score. I'm up to seven out of ten, but I want more. And I've been preparing my revenge. Picking up my phone, I tap out a simple text. Come over if you dare. With that, I saunter inside, fully expecting her to ignore me. But that's not the point. There's a chip on Jinx's shoulder, which means she rarely backs down from a dare. It'll be fun to see which way she jumps. And there you go. That was a short, steamy excerpt from Ellie Master's book, Rescuing Jinx. That is book number six in her Guardian Hostage Rescue Specialist series. And I just happen to have Ellie Masters with me here today. How are you, Ellie? I'm doing great. Thank you. I love that excerpt. I loved reading it. So uh, before we get into uh, some background about yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about the book we just heard the excerpt from. So um, that is the the sixth book in my um, Guardian um, Hostage Rescue Specialist series. And I love that book in particular because it's a little bit different than the other ones. Um, there's a common theme of you know, the women needing to be rescued. But in this book, we have Jinx, who's a um, expert cryptologist, and they are kind of tasked with breaking a code so that they can go save some other, um, some other women that are being held. So we really get to see sort of that professional um, side of the women in the guardian hostage rescue system. So they're, they, they don't all need rescuing, but they all have their own little stories to tell. And so she and she and Wolf definitely clash. Um, <laughs> At the beginning, and they have a lot of arguments and and the, a lot of hot sex as it goes through. Yeah. Well, I, I loved uh, reading the excerpt uh, when I was recording it. it it's got uh, obviously humor in it and a lot of steam as well. And it's it's just a wonderful excerpt to read. And uh, you have to check out the rest of the book if you've heard the excerpt, obviously. Yes. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the Guardian Hostage Rescue Specialist series Uh altogether. Yeah. So this series um, kind of came out of a book that I wrote in a rock star romance um, series, and that was called Hearts and Sanity. 
And Forrest Summers was just a side character. And throughout that series, he became um, kind of like a fan favorite. He was um, a little kid, grew up in the foster care system, had really bad things happen to him. And he grew up into a towering Viking Norse god kind of a character. So that's how readers are kind of introduced to him as as an adult without Ah. any of the background. And as the readers were more and more interested in Forrest and kind of what he was doing, um, he is the creator of the Guardian Hostage Rescue Specialist. So he goes in and he saves foster children that are in bad foster situations. And then he goes and he rescues um, women and children who are who have been trafficked. And that's his life goal and his life passion. And so out of that, the um, Guardian Hostage Rescue Specialist series was kind of born and given life. Well, it sounds like a very exciting series, and uh, six six books in the series. Is that correct? There, there are six books in that series, and then there's um, one that's kind of like a prequel, and that's uh, rescuing Melissa. I see, and they are uh, all standalone books, so you can listen to or read these on their own. Uh, but it's better to get the the feel of the whole series, the excitement of the whole thing, correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Each book is has a individual couple. So you get their beginning, their middle, their end, and all the, the trials that they have in the beginning. But over the entire series, there is a, a big bad guy that they're taking down kind of piece by piece. And you see that piece in uh, Rescuing Jinx with Jinx and Wolf. Um, they're trying to crack the cipher. So the cipher was discovered in a previous book. So from the beginning to the end of the series, there's like a second story that's kind of overarching, but each individual book can be read as a standalone. And I do make an effort to give readers enough of what they might need to know so that they never feel lost. Very good. It sounds like a very, uh, very exciting series, and I can't read to, uh, wait to read the rest of them. You uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Now, uh, we've never met, uh, and I've just read uh, off the Internet and things that uh, I've been sent. Tell us a little bit about yourself. It, it just sounds like quite the life you've had. Um, I am, I'm one of those writers who never wanted to be a writer. (laughs) Definitely growing up, I was a math and science girl. I was the perfect STEM student, you know, perfect grades and all of that. And I wanted to be an astronaut when I grew up. And so I went into applied engineering physics with the dream to become a physicist and an astronaut, which I did not become an astronaut, but I had, I do have two hours of zero gravity time under my belt through NASA's uh, Vomit Comet, where we wow. did research. Um, didn't have a lot of money growing up, so I had um, the military pay for my undergraduate degree, and I did spend four years doing ballistic missile research, so I can actually say I was a rocket scientist at one point in my life. Oh, my. Yeah, so that's kind of a, that's kind of a fun thing, um, but I had a crisis of faith because I was um, doing work that really was how to destroy the world, literally. <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, I don't really want to do that. So I switched from physics and missiles to medicine. And now I take care of the tiniest and most vulnerable um, humans. And it's a, I love my job. I'm a neonatologist. I take care of um, babies in intensive care. And that is uh, a, probably the best part <laughs> of my life. Um, part of that I did... I did all of that in the military, which is how we get back around to how the writing thing came about. And I went to Okinawa in Japan and 
at the time that we were there, they didn't have very good internet. They didn't have very good TV. So my family, my, my two sons and husband, we basically stopped watching TV, which leaves a lot of time to do other things. And I just right. kind of started writing. Um, and I did that after my then oldest son had a sixth grade writing assignment. And his teacher said, write one paragraph about a woman wearing a red dress looking over um, out into a, a landscape. And he came home and he said, that's impossible. How can you do that? I mean, she's got a red dress and she's looking out over, you know, the expanse. So I sat with him to work on this one paragraph, five sentences. <laughs> I was like, is it windy? He's like, yes. I said, is it cloudy? Is there sun shining? What's down in the valley floor, you know, below? We kind of like went through those kind of things. And when we got done, he wrote his little paragraph, took it off, got a really great um, grade on it and came back to me and he said, so what happens to her? Uh -huh. And I was like, I have no idea. And so as they were playing video games, I kind of sat there and I took the one um, little paragraph that we had talked about and put it into uh, this massive 300,000 word novel for my son that's never been published, but he, um, he reads it still to this day. That's amazing. Yeah. That is absolutely amazing. And he reads it to this day, and you you haven't published that particular book, huh? No. Well, that was my very first book, so it's it's full of all of the the writer mistakes um, that are on it. the The really cool thing is that my son is now in our newest military. He enlisted a year ago in the Space Force. Really, he is dealing with some of the technology that I developed when I was a rocket scientist. And that, that's um, just amazing. Yeah, it's really kind of it's really kind of cool. He came home for a surprise visit and found an old copy of that book. It's called Caligonia. And he brought it down to me. He's like, look what I found. I'm taking it back to the dorm. And I was <laughs> just like, wow. You know, some sometimes I, I do interviews like this and it just opens up the door a crack so I can see into someone's life just a little bit. And you just want to know so much more. I mean, what you've just told us here in a few minutes it could fill a book in itself many times over. <laughs> well, maybe wow. I'll, I'll get to that when I'm older. <laughs> uh, well, you have a long way to go before we get to uh, the memoir kind of mm -hmm. stage. So, mm -hmm. so this, uh, so it's it's just been an amazing journey for you. And when did you when did you write and publish your your first book? So I wrote and. In published my first book probably still when I was in Okinawa so that was back well, I don't know like 2010 2013 and I published it um, in I think it was 2016 um, with a small press called Lucid ID and they um, or Lucid is what it was and mm -hmm. they um, paired me up with an amazing editor who taught me a ton of things and didn't quite launch the book the way that I would have, but it was a, a good experience and enough of an experience where I decided that I am way too type A and I need absolute full control. <laughs> I went um, indie published after that and published um, Hearts and Sanity, the book that I mentioned earlier where Forrest was first introduced and it's just been a whirlwind of creative energy since then. So have you have you always written romance books? Is that how this started and that's how it keeps going is romance books? No. <laughs> um, 
I I was a sci-fi fantasy girl growing up. That's mm-hmm. I read all the all the greats of sci-fi fantasy. And the first book, Calgonia, is a like a young adult science fiction book. I wrote another one after that that I did publish um, eventually called Vendel Rising. And that one had some romantic elements in it. And as I was kind of learning more about the indie community, I was looking at, um, I saw kind of like the romance coming more and more into my books. And I was like, well, that doesn't really fly in the typical science fiction community very well. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I kind of shifted and uh, just wrote more and more. I just love those interactions of people meeting for the first time and what pulls them apart brings them back together all that good stuff well you're very good at it and uh i'm sure you will continue how many how many romance books have you written so far ellie i have lost count um (laughs) (laughs) but i've written quite a few it's between 30 and 40 and i say that i lost count because i originally published um in darker themed um stories and i've since kind of moved those out of my Ellie Masters catalog, they're still uh-huh. published under my um, husband's pen name, which is uh, Jet Masters. So they're still out there. I just don't do anything with them anymore. And I just wanted to reach a wider group of people, broader appeal. And um, as I was kind of working through my hearts and my um, Angel Fire series, and that's the the rock romance uh, series, they became, became a little bit more suspenseful. And so I kind of moved into that trajectory mm-hmm. uh, tell us i always ask this as well uh how do you write your books i mean we get so many questions about that uh, uh prospective authors and things that want to get started but they they don't have any idea how, how does the process work with you uh yeah, do you have the characters just come knock on the inside of your head and say hey let's write a book or how does that work <laughs> um yeah, I, I love listening to other writers and their process, and it's so incredibly diverse. There are people who plot out every little thing before they even put pen to paper, and then there's people like me who I have no idea. So I'm actually writing the story as kind of like as a movie, so I'm like watching the movie and writing it down as it goes, so I never really know what's going to come next. I, I typically have a, a vague idea of the beginning, and I have kind of a vague idea of the ending and I have no idea how to get from point A to point B and, <laughs> and, the, I, and the, I just start writing and the characters just lead you down that road and wherever they take you that's where you have to go huh yeah that's where we have to go and I've tried to do a little bit more plotting my um, my husband is very involved and very supportive of what we do and we um, as part of the process we listen to the book in the final form while we're out on drives in the countryside and so he'll ask me about a book and we'll kind of talk it out and I'll try to keep some of those plot points. But every single time, if I have an outline by the 20, 30% time, the characters are, they've gone hard left. I'm trying to go hard right. <laughs> and I try to push them to the right. And they're like, nope, we're taking this path. You are, need follow us. We're not following you. And that's one of the most, that's one of the most amazing things I hear from, from the authors is uh, that the characters they're going to want they're going to do what they want to do and uh, the more you fight them the more they they want to go somewhere else and finally you just go with the flow so to speak and that's how the book gets written yeah absolutely i've, I've thrown my my hands up many times to like fine you guys win 
<laughs> I can't wrangle you to do anything. It, it, it's it's amazing to me, and uh, you know, it, it, again, it's it's amazing to me how how like you said how different the process is for everybody. But there's always similarities in there, and I always seem to hear the thing that the characters, they're the ones writing the story, you know, that they're the ones that are are making the turns, and you're just trying to put down where they go. Yeah, exactly, um, and I think it's interesting because the two different extremes of writers, writers who, you know, fly by the seat of their pants, and those that work you know, heavily with a, with an outline, we don't always really understand how that can work, but we do kind of have those commonalities of, you know, random things that kind of didn't really expect. And those, those are often the little nuggets that can create a world. Um, for me, that was Forrest Summers. I mean, that character, he was just a throwaway character. He was just serving a, you know, he was like a signpost and not much more than that. And now he's become um, the anchor of an entire world of books. Well, see, maybe he knew that, and he said, "Oh, I don't think so." No, <laughs> I know. Uh, no. He probably no. did. He probably like stop writing that and let me do my thing. <laughs> I have right. imaginary people to save. Uh, that that's that's amazing to me. And you have so many different books. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your other series and your other books that you would like people to know about here. Sure. Um, I love the the Angel Fire series. My um, rock star romance so you, you get to follow a band and it's very contemporary and um, those stories are are really fun because you have you know a group of guys and they basically become a found family um, and so that's uh kind of like my my genesis series um, uh-huh. i did write another series called the one i want and that one i i have i didn't co-write it it was co-conceived and kind of created with my husband um, one of the things kind of from what we were talking about the things that I've done before I mean I've been a rocket scientist a physician and now a writer um, I wanted to write books with strong accomplished women who were working in kind of predominantly male um, dominated career fields but who were kicking ass uh-huh. and I kind of I want women to read those kind of books and talk to their daughters about those kind of books um, so that their daughters know that they can do whatever they want to do. And it's okay to, you know, sometimes lean on, you know, lean on the guy. Like you you don't always have to be strong. And if you need somebody else to help you out of a situation, you're not weak. And so I really want to get that message out. So that's the one I want series. And it's all about love at first sight. And it's love at first sight because my husband and I fell in love at first sight. And we met and married in four months and we're still together after well, 30 years so well there's another amazing story you just keep whipping out these amazing stories <laughs> that we want to know more about uh, yeah. 30 years and so love at first sight married in four months and still together after 30 years happily huh? yeah yeah the very first year of our marriage was the worst part because i was like boy i think i made a horrible mistake <laughs> and i can't go back <laughs> but we made it through the first year <laughs> Well, that's good. I, I assume he's going to be listening to this interview, and he, but he probably already knows this. Huh? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so he's not going to go, what? Yeah, he's like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> hopefully my parents aren't listening to this because to this day, they don't know that we eloped. We actually got married. Um, I think it was like six months after we eloped is our marriage that my family is aware of. 
Okay, well, parents, if you're listening, that's just a book thing. Okay, that's that's just a story. <laughs> a story. It's not real. I made her say that during the interview. It's okay. Don't. Yeah, so, thanks for the disclaimer. Yeah, you're <laughs> you're welcome there. Uh, so it must be kind of odd. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, is it odd writing a book when you're sitting down with your husband on some of these scenes? Uh, how how does that work? <laughs> um. He actually prefers not to listen to those scenes. Oh. Um, yeah. So we, um, we'll kind of talk like generalities and kind of high level plot points. And then when we're listening to the books, it used to be that we would listen to the entire book, mm-hmm. but now we'll get to a section. He's like, oh, you can skip that chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I he's see. listened to a lot of my books. He's read every book I've ever written. Oh, sure. Of course. Of course. But he does skip some of those scenes, huh? Some of those scenes, yeah, they can be inspirational, though. So that's always good. <laughs> oh, now there's something I have to ask about. <laughs> How am I going to let that go by? You just uh, again, just one thing after another. You're not. No, you have to answer <laughs> that one. Okay. So Ellie Masters, uh, best-selling author, says some of these scenes can be pretty inspirational. What does that mean exactly, Ellie? <laughs> um, I think that. Every relationship has ebbs and flows, and sometimes you can rekindle sparks and experiment trying different things. I'll just leave it at that. That's a very good answer. That's an extremely good answer, yes. (laughs) So uh, um, some of the other authors that are married, I I asked them this as well. Uh, Does your husband ever look at you during writing one of these or or after you wrote one of these scenes and just go, what the hell, Ellie? (laughs) um he has wondered about me a a couple of times (laughs) um the the guardians um hostage rescue specialist is gritty and dark and i do go Mm -hmm. down uh, you know i explore some dark things of kidnapping and abduction i don't do um any overt rape scenes but there's certainly a lot of references um, Mm -hmm. throughout the book um and there's there's one part that is a part of the operation they're trying to bring down which is what jinx and wolf in um, rescuing jinx are working on is a snuff operation mm. and i i wrote that scene and he read it and he was like what the hell is that there's no way you can publish that you need to fix it so he did exactly do what i asked he says what the hell ellie didn't didn't he <laughs> <laughs> he's like you have got to bring that way back and then he looked at me every now and then he's like where did you even get that from <laughs> i don't know i'm sorry yeah see that see that's the thing because it came nowhere from, from it came from nowhere but your mind ellie yes i know what's that say about me and and then you have to explain that yes or not i would go with the not with the not yeah, well, yeah one, one, i think one of the best ways to get out of something like that is just to go hmm so yeah, just just feel free to use that whenever you want to. Mm-hmm. Donovan Kane told me to just say, mm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in this um series, it's is it a seven or a six book series? Um, so it's a six book series. It starts with rescuing Zoe, and I switched it to that. But the first book is called Rescuing Melissa, and it used to be called The Princess Murders, and it's basically combining romance with Silence of the Lambs. So it's creepy. Like the now, who who would have thought you could have done that? <laughs> I did. 
that's an accomplishment. I'm I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I had to yeah, yeah I had to comment on that. So tell us how how was that done? So um and this is one thing where it's cool where where real life comes in after the fact. It's it, that story is about um there's a serial killer and he kills women, but he dresses them up as Disney princesses and he's in jail and can get ready to, to be executed. And his wife is the main love interest and she's now divorced from him. But um, he has, he has a copycat who is the bad guy in the story. Mm. And so it kind of goes through and the copycat does the same thing, but he's better than the princess murderer because he keeps his women alive, but he keeps them in cages down in the basement. Uh And he wants Melissa because she's the queen because she used to be married to his idol. Um, so that whole part, I was I was thinking about this scene in Silence of the Lamb when the woman's down in the well, and and that just came <laughs> into the book. And my husband's like, you know, that's not possible. This guy like dug out his basement and had these women down in the basement. And um, I think years later, a couple of years ago, we were touring this house, and this house had this weird basement that was hidden behind the main structure of the house, and we were kind of walking down it going and he's like this is your book we need to go <laughs> <laughs> we're leaving now we're leaving now <laughs> mm. wow well you have you have led quite an amazing life and uh I, I would love to know more about everything we've talked about but of course we only have so much time uh, listen if you if you're out there listening to this uh interview and why would you not be uh, if you listen, if you listen to that excerpt and you like the book, tell them where to go to learn more about you. Obviously, elliemasters.com is one place. Yes. Um, elliemasters.com is going to be my website. So that'd be kind of like the main hub. Mm-hmm. Most of my books are on Amazon and most of them are in Kindle Unlimited. So if you are a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, you can read all of them for free. And there's definitely enough there to keep you busy. Um, otherwise, you can um, you can just buy direct on Amazon. Um, I do have paperbacks and if you want one of my paperbacks, but it, you know, price point is an issue. You can always go to your local library and you can ask them to, to get the book and you can read it that way. Um, and then I do have them on, um, audio obvious as well. Very good. Well, it's, it's been a, it's just been a pleasure having you on here and talking to you. And it's just, it's just been so interesting. And I wish we could talk all day on some of these subjects and uh, maybe uh, I'll have the, the ability to have you back on here someday. Well, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate, really appreciate it. And I absolutely love the way that you narrate books. You really bring them to life and you really kind of forget that you're listening and you're just kind of like immersed Oh, well, thank you very much. And, and, and it's, uh, thank you for uh, letting me uh, narrate uh, the excerpt. And it's, uh, I think it's, it's definitely a, a team thing here, because if I don't have something good to read, it doesn't matter how I read it. It's not, it's not going to come out very interesting at all. So uh, that's where it all starts, obviously. So so uh, you and the other authors that take part uh, in this program are, have been amazing. And it's it's been wonderful learning uh, a lot about uh, a, a lot of different romance authors. So thank you very much, Ellie. And if you want to get a hold of Ellie, of course, elliemasters.com. You can also go to a site that I've started called steamystoriesforwomen.com that has some links on there to a lot of the authors I have done interviews with or will be doing interviews with. 
Uh, I would like to ask one more question before I let you go. Yes. There's an author sitting there somewhere right now or someone that wants to be an author and they want to get started. They have no idea. Tell them very, very briefly how to go about doing that and why they should. I would tell them to write a chapter or two, and then I would go to a critique group. That's kind of where I started. So critiquecircle.com is an amazing place. There are people who do not know you because your mother, your husband, your siblings are going to love everything that you write, even if it's crap, but total strangers <laughs> will give you constructive criticism. And that's the best way to learn how to write. So critiquecircle.com. Very it's good. So critiquecircle.com. Mm -hmm. And why should they, why should they become an author? What if nobody reads the books, Ellie? What if nobody has any interest in anything they write? Well, there's one person who's going to read and write that book and that's you. So the author, it's just a tremendous joy to create something out of nothing. And even if you don't share with anyone, but why would you want to keep it to yourself? It's a creation of the mind. I think that's wonderful. And, uh, you're going to have people read your book. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much, Ellie Masters. And thank all of you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this interview along with the steamy excerpt. I'm Donovan Kane, and we'll see you next time. Right. Bye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this Romance Author Spotlight episode of the podcast with Ellie Masters. If you'd like to learn more about Ellie Masters, please visit her at elliemasters.com. Or you can visit myself, Ellie Masters, and several other best-selling authors at steamystoriesforwomen.com. I'm Donovan Kane. Thanks for listening, and for now, goodbye.